Northside. It's good to be here this morning. This morning, got information that her sister-in-law, Paula Dillingham, had passed away. She had a brain surgery or a brain tumor, and uh, she passed away uh, this morning. So, Janice, you're in our prayers, and, uh, and obviously we we have concern for you and and for each other. We're all dealing with something. And this week, Jen Thompson continues to fight her. She just is fighting uh, numerous and various health issues, but she's here on Sunday morning. I, Jen, I just have to say this. I, I, in the span of time that God has given me the opportunity to minister um, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, I have to tell you, you're a little bit of a walking miracle. Uh, I know people will miss church for a hangnail, and you have had some very serious health issues, and you just get up on Sunday morning, and you put your makeup on, and you you come to church. I, I have a, uh, a vision, not a vision, but a, a view in my mind of as I'm so many mornings as I'm walking from the parsonage over here in our little breezeway, uh, I see you with your cane and your cup of coffee just walking across and being diligent, and so I know you've had health struggles, issues, and has really felt uh, led to just speak on that this morning, and I appreciate the struggle that you're having. Obviously, you got people praying for you, but also, I guess it's that good Minnesota backbone or something. I don't know, just that uh, you're here, and we're blessed to have you here. Uh, we have Resurrection Sunday coming up, and it's going to be a blessing. We're going to uh, meet in the old sanctuary. We're going to have breakfast at 8 o'clock. And I believe the men agreed yesterday to provide that breakfast. Uh, I hope I'm not speaking out. I know we have. And uh, uh, so we'll have breakfast at 8. We'll have the service, uh, one service, 9 o'clock in the old sanctuary on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we're looking forward to that. It'll be a blessing. So that's all I have this morning. I ask that you uh, open your Bibles to Colossians, the book of Colossians. We're going to continue our study you can turn your attention to the handout that we have uh, prepared for you in the bulletin. Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And they mirror the passages uh, that Paul uh, Jenkins just read, the Apostle Paul wrote in uh, those passages out of Galatians and Ephesians. And then now here in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. We talked about that. That was a central theme of last week's message, setting your mind on the things above. Setting your mind on the things above. Uh, seeking the things above. And now, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I'm going to stop there. I'd ask that you also, uh, you can mark that in your scripture, that uh, passage, and uh, open also then to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes. So, in each of Paul's letters, every one of them, he makes a case, and he makes a case for the gospel. The most preeminent, the most preeminent 
mental, intellectual, spiritual, emotional, physical process, reality in the Apostle Paul's life was the gospel. This is the gospel. He clearly, clearly explains the good news of God in all of his letters and the preeminence of it, the, the, the supreme importance of it, and then the application of that in our life. And so it makes no difference what letter he's writing. He makes a case for the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And uh, he will take various approaches, but at some point in his letter, he talks about personal responsibility. It doesn't matter which letter you're in. Doesn't matter. First and Second Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He addresses a problem. We talked uh, last week about the problem of the church in Colossae. So he addresses whatever problem's going on. He talks about the preeminence of the gospel. He emphasizes what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, his son, and our Savior. And then he moves to, as he deals with the problem, then he moves to an area in each one of his letters of personal responsibility. You and I as Christians, if we understand, if God has led us to know the impact, understand the reality of the gospel in our life, Jesus Christ and him crucified, the grace that he has offered us because of that, the salvation that we have, the inheritance that we have, the promises and the hope of eternal life. If we understand that, and as that has been written and he has explained that and we receive that, uh, then the reality is you and I have a personal responsibility. A personal responsibility. I uh, have thought back on my own life and the greatest influences in my life. My grandfather was certainly one of the greatest. Uh, you've heard me speak of him in the past. He had a great influence. He and my grandmother, he was a coach for 50 years. And I look back now, when you're younger, you, 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 you miss a few things. Maybe you miss a, a lot of things. But I look back on our relationship. The one thing that if I were going to characterize that relationship was with him was unconditional love. If you've not been unconditionally loved in, in life, I, I, and I mean this, I, I'm sorry for you. Unconditionally, that man loved me. Uh, he would not have excused bad behavior in my life. He would not have done it. He would have disciplined when discipline was needed. But that man unconditionally loved me. I believe that he loved the Lord God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with all of his being. I believe that. I believe that he could give unconditional love because he understood that he had been unconditionally loved. But he was a coach for 50 years. And, uh, and I look back on those lessons in my life, and one of the things, he, he was really, really, really big on personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Knowing your place, knowing what's required of you. He was, he was big at, at that. I have a book in my office that is autographed by John Wooden. Some of you, now I wouldn't expect anybody that's very young to know. If you know who John Wooden is, raise your hand. You know who John Wooden is. Yeah, mostly. John Wooden, argue, really, arguably, probably, 
cons the consensus would be that he's the greatest college basketball coach of all time. He coached those great UCLA teams. I think they won, I believe, I believe it was 13 national championships. Coached some great uh, teams with, uh, I'm really going to age some of you, with Lou Alcindor. Anybody know who Lou Alcindor is? Yeah, the old guys again. Uh, he would change his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but he had Bill Walton, Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem. And I got to meet the man. He was in his 90s. He came to Abilene Christian University, and he's just a very frail little guy. He's, he's probably 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, when I met him, um, very strong voice, uh, very sharp mind, but he was in his 90s, dressed to a T. Uh, and I had the opportunity to go to a banquet, uh, really a little bit of a lectureship. Uh, John was the guest speaker there, and he would speak, and uh, I had the opportunity to go and be a part of that. He, he wrote a book, a simple little book, um, and he, if you were there, he would autograph that book for you. I have it in my office. I have read that book. It's so easy to read. I've read it a dozen times over the years. One of the things that struck me in his story was this. All the national championships, and it's in his book, and he spoke on that. Uh, and this little, frail, white guy coaching some of the greatest, you know, <laughs> athletes, world-class athletes in the world, and they had such a tremendous respect for him. But he never once mentioned, never once mentioned uh, as a goal a national championship. He never mentioned it. Season's going to start. New recruits, upperclassmen, returning athletes. They're preparing for another college basketball season. He said, I never spoke of the national championship. I never mentioned the goal of winning a national championship. Which most coaches and you know, you start the season saying, hey, man, it's Super Bowl or bust, or it's the championship or bust, or it's whatever it is. Our goal is, man, we're here. We want to win a championship, the, the prize. John said that he never did that. What he taught was personal responsibility. We'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, if you don't know Tammy, you should know her. Um, she has, God has used her in my life to teach me many lessons. I would, I was going to say most, but I'll say many which I didn't want to learn, don't want to learn, but, but God's will is being done, and, and I praise God for that. So, I Tammy's teaching me lessons. Sometimes I don't want to uh, learn them, and I, I think it's a two-way road. But one of, uh, when, if you get to know Tammy, she'll tell you about a, a, a particularly good time in her life. The day she met, no, never mind. <laughs> she will tell you when she was, she had a, a tremendous influence in her life. It was a coach. And the lady's name was Peggy Dill. Now, she's still alive, isn't she, Tammy? Till, T-I-L-L. Okay, I thought, okay. Peggy Till. And she will tell you her teams went on two years in a row, junior and senior year, 
combined, they lost a game each year. They were highly successful. Uh, Tammy doesn't talk much about that, but what she does talk about is the influence of this coach who, man, and she can tell you in great detail about what this coach required of them. They would eat a meal together before game. They had to dress exactly the same. Uh, she drilled them and drilled them and drilled them. She taught them personal responsibility. So I thought about as I was preparing this lesson this week, and as you're reading through Colossians, and Colossians moves, uh, Paul is moving to this section in Colossians. This is who God is. Man, the supremacy of Christ. This is what he's done for you and I. This is what your problems are, church. This is what your personal responsibility is. Most of us, we just live life randomly. We might even live life with goals, aspirations, and desires for benefits. But we don't, many times, we don't narrow our lives to a starting point, a foundation, a need, and that is, okay, what is my personal responsibility? Not anybody else's, my personal responsibility. What is it? What is it? John Wooden would say that the reason they had the success that they had was because he was finite in detail. If you were a guard, he was finite in detail. If you're going to be a guard on this basketball team, these are your personal responsibilities. If you were a forward, if you were a post player, if you were a coach, if you were a manager, if you were a water boy, everybody in finite knew what their personal responsibility was. And the Bible, the Bible, is explicit in that. Christians can readily talk about uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Christians can compose great songs like Amazing Grace. Uh, but can you talk explicitly about your personal responsibilities as a man and a woman who has been saved by God. Saved by God. No longer having to live under the fear of the wrath of God. Freed from the burden of your sin. Living with the promise of eternal life given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can you talk about, and not just talk about, know exactly as an adopted child of God what your personal responsibilities are? Go to Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter uh, 1. Shared with the youth group this morning. We're in a study of Ecclesiastes. I give them an assignment each week so that they can come to class prepared. And uh, I just, I'm so thankful for that time in my life. Uh, and so, again, I never believe in coincidence, and you'll see the, the systematic theology here, the harmony of Scripture. Uh, 
So as we've been going through that, we're in our third, fourth week studying in Ecclesiastes, uh, I want to go to chapter 1 and verse 1, or verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13. Solomon, you know, he says he's the preacher. You know the story of Solomon, king of Israel, the son of David. Uh, he asked, God said, you know, ask what you want. He asked for wisdom. So God gave him a discerning heart. God gave it to him. Now, in verse 13, as he writes Ecclesiastes of chapter 1, he said, I set my mind, I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted by. It, what a verse. So Ecclesiastes, he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing with my wisdom. I'm going to tell you what the words of the preacher are, chapter 1 and verse 1, the son of David, king of, of Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you, this is Solomon's task. With all of his wisdom, the position that God has given him, his heritage, his legacy, he said, I've said, I have a task, and my task is to set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under the heaven. It's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Now, then I had the, these uh, our stellar young teenagers here. I, I, I said, I want you to do something this week. I want you to, uh, one section of Scripture, you should do it as adults, but I want you to go through Ecclesiastes, take your highlighter pen out, and every time God is mentioned in Ecclesiastes, highlight. God, 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 God. Paul Jenkins is doing, if you're not reading these emails, you should. He's doing uh, emails called The Attributes of God, and they're absolutely fabulous. They're well thought out, uh, well written, precise. And so, again, now, uh, as a Christian, if I ask you to tell me what is the nature and character, the attributes of God. And so I did this morning with the kids, and they said, well, he's patient. Well, he's kind. He's eternal. I like that. He's forgiving. He's love. That's good. But, you know, when we say God is love, what does love mean? Well, the world would define love one way. Scripture would define it another. So all those things are true, patient, kind, eternal, loving, all those things, put them in a biblical definition, though, might be different, will be different than what, we've, what the world teaches and puts on display, whatever that would be, patience, love, kindness, all those things, compassion. So what I want you to see here, there's a connection here. If you go through Ecclesiastes, if you start highlighting God, 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 every time Solomon, he has a task, you know what? I've said, I got a task. I'm, here's my task. I'm going to explore everything. I just want to explore by wisdom and concerning everything that has been done under the sun. I want to know that. That's what I want to know. And in the writing of this wonderful book, he categorically nails the character, the nature, and the attributes of God. What does that have to do with personal responsibility? You can never fully understand. You could read the list in the New Testament epistles about personal responsibility. You can read it. You could even set it as a goal. But unless you combined the two, the, the, the nature and the character of God, how, how does, what is it that God is doing? What is it that God is put before us what is it that that God is requiring now the personal responsibilities 
based upon everything that God has done, then how does that translate into my life? Somebody that's in the flesh, but still sealed with the Holy Spirit in the midst of this struggle. And so hear this. I want you to hear this statement that brings all this together. Personal responsibility, the character and the nature of God, uh, based upon the preeminence of the gospel. So if you go to chapter 3, listen to this. This is the only lesson we're going to do this morning. I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. I have seen the task which God has given the task of the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. This is so good. This morning, I asked, the youth group, and their, Colton especially really was so uh, thoughtful and explicitly honest. First I said, okay, tell me what Occupy is. Parents, work with your kids because I'm not sure they know what Occupy is. So then I made it simple to them. I said, Grace, what did you occupy yourself with yesterday? She said, sleep. <laughs> That's a good. I said, I occupied I was sleeping yesterday. Then I went fishing. She didn't catch anything. Then she ate fish, right? So that, that's the way she occupied herself with yesterday. It's good stuff. The Stasny boys, they were helping Paul and Melinda get stuff done, and Braden went fishing. He caught fish, so on and so forth. But that's what they occupied themselves with. Then I said, okay, now let's take occupy. Let's go to occupation. So what's your occupation? Well, they're students. That they are. They're, they're a student. Okay, so occupy, occupation, good, got it. Back to this statement. I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. And then, and then I asked, I said, look, so if Aubrey dies today, or you never see Aubrey today, if I could take one place in the Bible and insert it into your brain, that it would affect you intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, there would be a piece of knowledge that really is the culmination of our purpose, our personal responsibility, the preeminence of the gospel. If I never, so if I could do that with all of you, with Colton and Braden and uh, Hudson and, you know, Grace, I, this, here's what I'd want you to think in turn, or have the thinking, the mind, the heart, the spirit of, I've said, so now when you wake up in the morning, and I love Colton's answer, I said, and you think about what am I going to do today? How am I going to occupy my time today? What's going to be the occupation of my time today? What am I going to do today? You think, well, what am I going to do today? Well, I'm going to go to work or whatever it is. I don't, you know. Now, let me ask you. Have you thought in, or would you think in, have you ever thought in these terms? And this is with Colton. I said, have you ever thought, okay, whatever I'm going to do today, I want to think about it in relationship to the task that God has given me today. Again, whatever you, you wake up tomorrow, 
I'm going to occupy myself with this. This is what I'm going to do. And you have the thought. So here's the thought. And I'm going to do whatever that is based upon the task which God has given me to do. I don't get to do anything outside of anything that I'm going to do today, outside of the thinking, the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual, and the physical reality that I'm going to see this in light of a task that God has given me to do. Have you ever done that? And Colton, just for a minute, he said, you know, I have never done that. I've never done it. And just the way he said it, it's one of those profound moments that you look for as a preacher or a coach or a minister. Um, it, it just is. Just as a quick side note, one of the great moments in my life, and I mentioned to you the influence of my grandfather, uh, Peggy Till, John Wooden. So, we talk about influence, parents. I want you to really think, get this, okay? Uh, so I was a freshman in high school, and I had come home from school, and I'd gotten a driver's license at a young age. Uh, my dad was gone, and so we'd applied for it. And I, got, I was younger than I should have been to get a driver's license. But I'd come home one day from school, and my next-door neighbors were out playing basketball in the, the Hud Hudson family, and and uh, I liked those young guys, and, and I'd shoot a little hoop with them, and uh, they were like six years old, and I had two brothers. And I said, what's going on? They were really sad. They said, well, they, it was flag football season. They were playing flag football, and uh, they were really sad. They said, well, our coach, and I don't even remember the details. I think there had been a car accident, but I, my brain's a little, but some reason, their coach wasn't going to be able to coach their flag football team, and they needed a coach. And I said, well, I'll do it. Now, I'm a freshman in high school. <laughs> I said, well, I'll do it. YMCA, flag football. Had no idea. But I said, I'll do it. And the mom came out, really great lady, and they hooked me up with the YMCA. My grandfather had been an athletic director of the YMCA for years. I said, well, I'll do it. What was I thinking? What was going on? I said, I'll do it. And so for the next three years, I coached these young men in uh, uh, flag football, basketball, t-ball. And if you don't believe that, ask Paul and Melinda Jenkins. They got the pictures to prove it. Uh, Britt Jenkins, their son, was one of the young men on that. That's how I met them. Follow me. I'm just an idiot. Some of you say, we still are. But I was, and I'm coaching these kids. And it was such a fabulous time in my life. One of the really, you know, as a high school kid, you're just aimlessly living. <laughs> and Colton, I was like you. I could quite honestly tell you that I wasn't thinking about anything in my life uh, in relationship. This is the task that God has given me to, to do today as a high school kid. But I, that was a point in my life. God's will is being done in my life. I'm not even aware of it. I meet Paul and Melinda Jenkins. I had a great influence in my life with my grandfather. And personal responsibility, personal responsibility, unconditional love, personal responsibility. And then you're living and you're living and you're living and 
and then you just mess up and you mess up and you mess up. And, and then God just does, he just, he just does the gospel. He just does the gospel. He, he examines our heart and he moves all the chess pieces in our life. He directs the footsteps of men and and, and he leads us to a place where we can hear the gospel, we can see the gospel, we can know the gospel, and we can receive the gospel. And then we start living as a child of God. And the burden for me is that as I read Paul's letters, and he always addresses personal responsibility of those who have been saved by God, that it's hard for us to frame our lives in that, in that understanding. And here's how you do it, folks. Before we start talking individually about personal responsibilities that are listed here, and we're going to be moving that through the weeks, here's the thing that has to happen. You and I have to start thinking that I have seen the task which God has given me with which to occupy myself. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, be obedient to your parents as to the Lord. I could just go on. I could go nonstop. Before we start talking about personal responsibility, you and I, each of us Christian as an individual, We've got to start framing our lives in the position that I have seen the task which God has given me with which to occupy myself. Final thought this morning. If you could frame your life, how much of your, that way, the biblical way, the spiritual way, the gospel way, how much of your life would you say that I, I'm actually thinking that way? How much of your life would you say that you are fulfilling that task? That I am indeed, not only have I seen the task which God has given me, but I'm occupying myself in relationship to that. Seriously. My favorite verse and all the most impactful verse in the entire New Testament is 1 Corinthians 2.2 where Paul says, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, I know what I did yesterday. I know how I occupied my time yesterday. And I had a very brief, you know, 14, whatever, 16 hours of, of, of being awake. I, I know what I did. I can give you the list. How much of that had to do with the time that God had set aside for me to breathe and live as a recipient of the gospel, a saved child of God, set aside, preserved from the wrath that would come in his judgment, how much of it did I live? What am I going to do today? Before I deal with the list of personal responsibilities, what... My mind has got to be in a place, understanding the gospel, the preeminence of the gospel, and the task that God has given me to occupy myself.
He's given me a task. And it's not for my self-pleasure. It's not for me. Most of us spend the task occupying our time looking for reasons to get mad at somebody, to get my feelings hurt, to look at what I don't have instead of what I'd like to have. Well, I don't understand why I don't have that. Feel sorry for ourselves, mad at somebody all the time, mad at ourselves, disappointed. You know why most people are depressed, the number one reason? It's an unfulfilled life. It's just an unfulfilled life. So much I could share with you this morning. I had a great opportunity again with the youth group. I have permission to use this, but I have a relative of mine, really, he's one year younger than me, and uh, we've talked about this on many occasions. He graduated from high school. He was 16 years old. He was brilliant. He knew at age 12 what he wanted to be, highly intelligent, uh, mature beyond years for his age, had the great resources and support to go pursue that, came to Texas A&M, uh, would have been in around 1975, uh, graduated with a degree in engineering in three years, went on to work for McDonnell Douglas in California. Uh, it, so this would have been, uh, I'm thinking, the early, late 70s, early 80s, somewhere right around there, bought him a $100,000 home in Orange County, no telling what it would have been worth today, pursued his career. By the time he was 25 years old, he'd actually maxed out at McDavid. He was a, just a prodigy. And I remember getting the word, God had saved me just the year before I was 26, he was 25, and he was coming back to Dallas, and he was depressed. He was, he was depressed. He was suicidal. We've talked about this on many occasions. In fact, we just visited recently about it. And he said, just like Solomon, the conclusion, all this talent and maturity and wisdom and ability and knew exactly what he wanted. God gave him that engineering mind. And it's just, huh? He figured it out at age 25. People live their entire life and never figure it out. We're like a dog chasing our tail. We're pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And, 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 we, and then we wake up one day and said, man, I have wasted my life time. I have occupied my life with foolishness, the pursuits of my flesh. So I was going to say, I'm going to conclude here. I'm going to say to you what I was, what I've said to the kids this morning. If I never saw you again, I wish that your mind could be filled with the, the foundation, which is based upon the preeminence of the gospel and the personal responsibility you and I have that we would say today, it's a new day. Today is the day the Lord has made. And I've got so much to do. Oh, man, I've got to go here, and I've got to go here, and my husband's not helping me, or da-da-da-da-da, and I don't like the people I work with, and how am I going to get all this done? Well, today will be a good day because, you know, I'm gonna get, we're going on vacation. Whatever your life, what the, in, the entrapments of our mind would be. I've got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to. And never even a thought. God, what have you given me? How, how am I going to occupy my time today understanding the task that you've given me? It will change the way you live. It will help you to understand the personal responsibilities that God has given you.
It will make you a better husband and a better wife and a better parent and a better child and a better employer and an better, a better employee. It will. It absolutely will. So next week, we're going to move into actually the list of this personal responsibility that Paul begins to outline in the Colossians. I want to challenge you as we move into that, that you start to think in your heart, I have seen the task which God has given me to live and how to occupy my life. What did you do today? Man, I'm going to tell you what. I enjoyed I enjoyed my wife. You can't even imagine. We had things to do yesterday, and she goes, you know, you need to go see your father. He's struggling with dementia. I really want to go see him because it's kind of hard for me. Every time I go see him, I cry. She says, you need to do that. I was thinking about this lesson. Beautiful day. Get in the truck, drive to land passes, spend a little time with my dad. It was tough. We get out, she coaches me through that. And then we just made the most of the day. We listened to good music. We went and did a few things that we liked. We came home. And all I could think about is the blessing that God had given me. It, he just has blessed me with a godly woman, with a father who was just such a good man. And and I'm seeing the frailty in his life and the sand kind of run out. And the beauty of the creation. And the blessing of what Solomon said to, about <laughs> that the whole duty of man is to fear God. See our whole life in relationship to that. That's just me. I just challenge you out of the words of Scripture this morning. Have you seen the task that God has given you? The, the, the task that he's given you and how to occupy your life. Then we can talk about personal responsibility. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer is that as you have, you have given us the life of your son and you have saved us from the wrath that is to come, and you have passed us out of judgment into salvation, and then we are living as your, your adopted children. And the Father, that you would fill our mind and our heart and our spirit and our living with the understanding that every, every single second and moment and hour and day and week and month and year, Father, that you have given us enough time, enough to occupy ourselves, Father, with the task that you've given us. So that when we get to the end of our lives, Father, we, we, we know that we, there's this sense, Father, this beautiful truth that when we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, that we can indeed praise you and give you honor and glory. And so, Father, we do this and we strive for this, and we desire this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing softly and tenderly on page 479.